What's up? This is Jeff Staple of the Business of Hype. And as everyone on planet Earth now knows, this is kind of a strange time that we're living in. With everyone hunkered down in their own homes, we were challenged with figuring out how to make a show, both logistically, because I typically interview all of my guests in person, but also like conceptually, like what do you guys want to actually listen to right now in the midst of what we're facing? What do y'all need right now? So we figured maybe let's call a bunch of the good people that have been on the show and just ask them how they're dealing and coping with Corona, both from a business standpoint, but also a personal one. I think hearing from people that inspire us will help us to figure out the footing in these uncertain times. I think we all go through this daily battle of figuring out big picture problems like family and unemployment and health while also tackling minutia, tiny details like when was the last time I washed my hands or do I have enough toilet paper and it's a time to replace my mask or can I get away with one more day? These are definitely very unprecedented times. And so this is just our small part in attempting to gather us together and share some stories. I hope you're able to get something out of these. I know for sure it's helped me out a lot just to have these conversations. Okay, let's get into it. All right. Um, before we get into it, let's start with a brief introduction. Uh, who are we talking to? What do you do? And where are you right now? My name is Roy Choi. I, I guess I cook. I cook and I talk shit. And <laughs> I'm at my home office because I can't go anywhere. Yeah. Cool. So, yeah, you. it's a little bit of an understatement to say you cook. You cook professionally. You're a chef. Right. Um, and but I think all that's going, all that's going away now, you know, no, no, yeah, it's now pause, the, title, we'll see. the titles and the, uh, that's true status and everything are all going away. So, yeah, we'll, we'll talk more on that in a second. Um, so since we last spoke, I remember the last podcast we did, it was literally in the inaugural opening of best friend, Las Vegas. Your, your yeah. Las I was Vegas trying to expansion. think when, when did, when was that? So that was, uh, that was a year and a half ago, so a little under a year and a half. We opened basically on New Year's Eve of 2018 going into 19. Yep. And uh, I can't turn on Netflix now without seeing your damn face. <laughs> like, now you're a big movie star, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's pretty exciting. Congrats on all that. Yeah, all that. All that. Just this was a big year. Actually, the last couple years were a big year. But that, you know, like... As you know, as a creative person, sometimes um, that stuff is in development three, four years ago. Yep. And it just comes out, whether that's a song. You know, I talk to a lot of my uh, friends that make beats and music. And, you know, sometimes they're like the, the heat, the heat that's out right now is shit that they were making like three years ago. You know, yeah, and probably the stuff that we're seeing shoes, now, shoes and stuff. Right. You know. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the stuff that we see now on, on TV, was that made? Um, like in the past year or even longer? Well, there was two shows that came out. One was a little bit of a, a, a smaller show, but a very important show. Also, it was called Broken Bread, and that was out over a couple different platforms um, on Tastemade and public television. That one was filmed pretty much into editing and into uh, the TV pretty quickly. So that was filmed all throughout 2018 and it came out in 2019. But the chef show on Netflix, that was filmed over like a three, three and a half year period. Uh, We really didn't know what we were going to do with it. It was just more of a, wasn't a hobby per se for John and I, but it was a, it was a focused hobby. You know, it was just, it was just like if you and I just started like creating shit together with no intent being like, uh, it, it's like bringing it all the way back to the roots. It's like not, it's, it's not creating, it's not chase the dog chasing the tail type thing. It's not like mm-hmm. creating something because someone gave you a task. It's just creating for the sake of creating and then finding something for it later. So when you guys conceived and started making the show, it wasn't necessarily going to be on Netflix yet. No, there's no buyer. There's no, again, Damn, no, there was crazy. no form. There was no intent. There was, no, yeah, there was nothing like. It's so rare when something's made that way nowadays. 
Yeah, it was pretty rare. And that's why I think the show is so special because it's, um, it came from a place of honesty yeah, and sincerity sure. because, again, it was just being in a garage band. <laughs> You're 16, yeah. you know, like whatever the case may be, you know, it's just right, right. making it for the sake of the art. So, yo, like back up for me, like maybe 30 to 60 days ago, right? Um, where was... Okay. Where was your work? Like, what were you preparing for? What were you getting ready for, gearing up for? Uh, and then all of a sudden, the shit hit the fan and the world stopped. And I had a lot. I had a lot on my plate. Um, I had probably like two, three shows that uh, I was either pitching or just at the doorstep of development, trying to turn my book, L.A. Sun, and kind of life story into a scripted series. Also had a a couple other like really creative, like non-scripted shows that, uh, that made it through. I don't know if y'all listening know how hard it is to make a TV show, but it's really damn hard. And so it's like, there's so many different gateways to get through. And this one was finally at like the last turnstile. And um, with, with pretty much all the momentum of it's going to get made. And then uh, I had a couple restaurant concepts that had been like, pretty close on as far as like figuring out, okay, everything, all the legwork had been done to just now at the stage of like, all right, let's go, let's pick this partner, that location, let's bring it to life. Uh, I was thinking about starting like a, um, a new book or like a publishing kind of imprint and just doing a lot of creative stuff, you know? Damn. And a lot of it right at the goal line, you were saying. Yeah. And the crazy thing is all of them were right at the goal line. Um, and they're not necessarily dead. They're just uh, in hibernation. Yeah. And going into the, you did a real poignant post from Las Vegas where you showed one of the first, to me, like inside of a casino shop. Yeah. It was like dead empty. And I was just, I was floored. Like Vegas is just one of those places where there was no time in the day, 24 yeah. hours, seven days a week, where it would look like that. And you, you and I know it intimately because um, we both gamble and we both yeah. have cards and, both love, you know, the, the vice of a casino and all the, yep. <laughs> the culture and the little things behind it, you know? Yeah. So you took that picture, right? Like you were there. Yeah, we were there. Uh, and that's just what it, that was right before or right at the moment of shutdown because, uh-huh. you know, Las Vegas was playing the fence, you know, just figuring yeah. out like, how do we, how do we maneuver this whole reality? Um, and they were, they weren't, I'm not going to say they were the last ones to hold out, but they were trying to figure out like, are there different piecemeal ways we can stay open? And then mm-hmm. finally one call, which was from the governor, but also it was also internal with, within different organizations like MGM and, and I think Wynn, stuff like that. And they just said, we're going to, cl- we're going to shut down services. So then they started shutting down piece by piece. First they shut down the restaurants and then they shut down parts of the casinos and if, and then the hotels were still taking room. So it was still like, there were still tumbleweeds of people like walking around and then finally they just shut everything down. So that picture was like the moment where everything collectively shut down. Shit. Yeah. It's crazy. How does it affect um, your daily life? Like maybe, maybe tell us a little bit about what your sort of day-to-day routine was before and then what it's like now. Well, it affected my life in, a couple different forms. Um, one is definitely, uh, I think about all of the people that work with me and for me, not only directly as employees and staff members and team members, but also uh, the, the periphery, the artists mm-hmm. and the collaborators and everything. And I think about, I just think about how abrupt it was. And, and yeah, we just all felt like we didn't have a chance to say goodbye, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so there's that, that there's a little bit of that lingering feeling right now that um, as, as a, as a leader of this company, I have to constantly think about like, like, what are we going to do? What are they going to do? Um, so that's something that occupies my day. So that's definitely changed. Um, yeah. I have, I've opened another, unlocked another level of empathy and, and uh, deep thought into like, just how, I go about things, how uh, I think about things. Um, as far as like my daily regular life, man, I wasn't doing that much shit. I have, I have such a great team. So like I have so much freedom that like 
I went from like checking in and doing these pattern things every day. I'm, I, I live a very abstract life. So, <laughs> so like, yeah. So like physically it really didn't change that much, you know, because mm-hmm. um, I was always kind of like, you know, going by my own rhythm and my own clock. Um, yeah. And I, I show up unannounced. I do my thing. I, I sometimes spend two days just driving around soaking in inspiration uh-huh. and then, you know, that becomes a dish or whatever. So it's like my job right. has always been that kind of abstract form where I don't have a clock. I don't have a, a, a thing that I have to report to every day. So physically, my life hasn't changed that much, to be honest. But I would assume that part of that process didn't involve you sitting in your man cave for hours at a time. <laughs> no, that, well, you're right. You're right. That's a good point. And um, so what what has changed is... Uh, is that ability to go around and, and, and be fluid. Yeah. But how are you getting inspiration now? I found other ways, you know, I, um, I've, I've been doing some meditation. I've been thinking a lot. I've been listening, you know, I've been just, um, I've just been kind of going into my own kind of imaginations and, yeah, um, you know, um, things like that. And, uh, but also where it's changed a little bit is, you know, on the restaurant side of my life, that whole infrastructure and the idea of what it is has completely crumbled. So uh, one thing that did change is I had to completely motivate and, and alter a lot of our methods in order to stay alive. And so we reshaped a lot of our, our business practices as far as like we're doing half the things we're doing now are like for free or for charity. Um, you know, sometimes, uh, I don't know. It's just like different, different things. We've, we've had to readjust and do a takeout model and a delivery model. And then again, just constantly now uh, what I'm doing is going around talking to my staff and just, uh, just keeping their spirits up and, and, and giving them someone to trust in this time, even though I don't even know, have all the answers, I'm still making more efforts to go around and just be someone right in front of them that they can trust in this, in this moment of confusion. And so those things are all different, you know, because I've, I've, those things were kind of, uh, how do, how can I say it, Jeff? They, those things were like inherent and unspoken before Yep. yep. because I, I had built the trust and I had built the relationship, but now I've had to go back and reopen that, you know, go back mm-hmm. to the attic and pull it back out and reopen it. Right. Fortify um, and fortify it because in before crisis, those things were already part of our DNA, but now Mm -hmm. I have to to reintroduce it. And I think people kind of underestimate the impact that this had on the food and hospitality industry in particular, because of like just the immediacy of it, how it just, you know, like us in, if you're in design or marketing or fashion, like you sort of are working six to nine months out anyway. So like things can be pushed, but if if you're not serving food like today, you're fucked tomorrow potentially. Like it's like on a day to day thing, especially like when you talk about servers and the bus boys and you know the yeah. house and everything, and then all the suppliers. So, I mean, like I can't even imagine like and and do you know like how many doors and how many people like were just working directly under your ecosystem? I mean, employee wise, there are a couple hundred, but. Again, it, that that echoes out to so many more. Uh, whether they were independent contractors, DJs, artists, purveyors, you know, all of that. Yeah, I'd love to hear how it is on the retail side um, and the fashion side. But I'll give you a little bit of insight on how it happened with us in the food world. Is and share with the listeners is everyone got hurt from this this whole pandemic. I think chefs have been more vocal and. Um, we're very emotional and, and, and it's all over social media and Twitter. And there, there seems to be like, it seems to be a bit of like singling out type of, uh, of a voice that, that is like out there. Um, but you know, retail stores had to close too. And, 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 you know, a lot of other businesses, flower shops had to close. My tattooist can't, you know, so there, everyone was affected with the chef and restaurant industry. The thing that stung the most is, in the political rhetoric that was out there in the world, what happened and in the propaganda, restaurants got singled out. So so the mayors and the governors and the presidents of each of your towns didn't stand up on the podium and say, you can't get tattoos anymore. 
and tattoos will never be available or you can't wear shoes anymore and you will not go and buy shoes ever again until we say you can buy shoes ever again. And that's what hurt the restaurant industry so much is that it was so targeted. The rhetoric was all restaurants must close. And, and it was like the way that they said it. It really hurt a very uh, emotional and sensitive community to begin with. It hurt even more because it was singled out and it says, and, and, and it was like almost like indirectly blamed for the whole crisis. It was like, you can't eat, you can't be in closed quarters. And there was like these, all these terms, like no dining in, um, half capacity, uh, restaurants must close, this and that. So all of that really, it, it, it stung. And then it was so abrupt. It was like mm -hmm. people were prepping like Saturday night, finishing service. And then they were told they had to close like the next day, you know, um, the only good side I see in all of this is that it exposed a, a fragility within our business. If our whole business was hanging by a thread this much that literally restaurants couldn't make it two days without revenue, you know, like I, I think Nike can go two days without revenue restaurants, even your biggest restaurants, you know, know. they couldn't even last two days. And so, um, well, one thing I really noticed about you in particular was when the, the shit really hit the fan, you seem to really mobilize Kogi, like almost as like the Marines. Yeah. You just sent Kogi out like, okay, we're do like, we're going to be at your corner. Let's go. Let's do this. Like, it was so dope to see that. Like, Thank you, you man. Were taking the advantage of like being small and nimble and mm -hmm. using that, you know, instead of like taking it as like a negative. There's a part of me that, that, I, I, I kind of like, I loved it too, because I realized that over the last decade, I didn't get so big that I couldn't be nimble. It, um, it proved to me that a lot of the decisions that I made over the last decade were right for me. I'm not saying they were the right decisions, but they were right for me and they were right for my company because, um, you know, there were forks in the road where we could have gotten bigger and we could have done certain things would have been all been great. Probably um, some of my partners would have wanted that more than what we have now. But we can't, you know, for lack of a better term, we kept the shit real all the way through. And then when the shit did hit the fan, we were, we were left standing and we were able yeah. to help. We were able to help. We weren't held down by any investors, uh, any, any like hierarchy, anything. We could, we were still like uh, graffiti artists on the street, you know we had gotten big we're still our roots and our connection is still completely independent and um and so it allowed us to say all right the world's fucked up right now um we got four wheels uh there's you know this old model no longer exists let's not cry over it let's mobilize like you said and when they sort of forced the restaurants to close you were still able to run kogi truck I don't want to say legally or illegally, but like you were openly able to do that without any problems. Yeah. And it is legal, but, okay. but sometimes uh, legal doesn't mean the same things on the streets, right? You could be legal doing something legal on the streets, but because of the color of your skin or where you come from, you might be arrested and, 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 and uh, there might be brutality and you might be falsely arrested for something right. or you might be falsely accused of something. Uh, for just walking down the street because of who you are. So on the streets, the rules are different, a little bit different, even though in the books, what is legal is legal and what's illegal is legal. But um, but the thing about what we did was uh, we're completely legal across the board, but we're also mobile and we're also a street truck. So we can go where no one's looking and we don't have to ask permission. We can just go and say, hey, who's hungry or who needs food? And we can just go get it done and be gone before anyone even knows we were there. Yeah. It's the beauty of the food truck. And so that was kind of like, it was all like freestyle and it was all like happened in the moment. Um, we just decided to mobilize, go out and feed some people like, uh, especially our followers were, were all into it in these just really, and we're talking about literally Jeff, like two, a two day period where we shifted the whole ecosystem and culture just shifted, you know, like, First, it's restaurant, you know, you're talking about like day one, shut down. Yeah. shut down, day two and three, a lot of restaurateurs scrambling. I don't know what to do. We just kind of like slip out the back door and like 
okay, we can do what start we, the engines. Yeah, start the engines. I can imagine you being like, go, yo, grab the car keys. We're going. We're going. Let's yeah, go. Yeah. And then our followers are like, hell yeah. And then, um, and then we had some people out there uh, within the music world that uh, have really loved Kogi that have, that really believed in it as well and helped us. So uh, Ryan Tedder from One Republic uh, donated money for us to go feed three different neighborhoods. Um, and he just donated again. So through Ryan, we'll be able to feed like uh, two to 3,000 people um, wow. that either lost their job, got laid off, uh, you know, um, their their company had to close, their shop had to close. Uh, they don't know when their next paycheck's coming in. And so that those were those were one thing that we did then. Uh, right now we have, from Ryan's donation, we had a couple other musicians, um, Joel and Benji Madden, from Good Charlotte, they're they're investing as well. We're going to use that to go feed the front lines. And so we're just mm. constantly figuring this out as we go. You know, that is dope. And it's still it's still running to to this day as we speak, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We still we're still running, and um, you know, we're still doing delivery running. We're going to different neighborhoods. Um, we're switching up things, trying different things. Where, uh, you know, a lot of our yeah. stops for Kogi. To understand the food business, just real quick, is that a lot of our lunch stops were in business zones. Like, uh, so like in New York, we were lunch would be like in Midtown Manhattan, right? Or so yeah. because that's where people are, and office workers need to come down and get get food. But now, all the office buildings and the office neighborhoods are are completely empty. So those spots no longer work. So you can either be from the frame of mind of let's go back to those same spots. And then like kick the dirt and be like, why isn't anyone showing up? And, or you could be, or you could realize no one's fucking showing up because there's nobody in that office building. And then you switch it around and you go, okay, where are they? They're in their homes because they lost their job. Let's go to those, let's go to their neighborhoods. We got to remember that, you know, I think what got lost in a lot of, um, a lot of what we've been hearing on the news and the mandates that have been coming is that, it's really a lot of it has been coming from a white collar point of view, in my perspective, uh, where they say you must shelter at home, you must work from home, uh, you must do all these things. Now, I've, you know, you and I have, you know, definitely are, are now able to do these things, but there are a lot of blue collar jobs out there and, and people that I feed every day and that I'm a part of every day that their job can't be done over a computer yeah. um, with headphones, you know, and so it's, um, it was just really important for us to to be someone that that cared for them, that heard that heard their voices as well, because there's a lot of voices that aren't being heard out there. And so, you know, Kobe's just one of those things that takes care of everybody. It's and it's kind of like a, a David and Goliath story metaphor. You know, like you you built this immaculate, amazing restaurant in this brand new you know casino, and it's like got all the bells and whistles, but it's asleep right now. And your, yeah. your old school rusty truck is the one that's still out there doing it. It's, a, it's such a beautiful story. That's crazy, right? Yeah. It's, right. I mean, it's the Millennium Falcon story, you know? It's uh, <laughs> Yeah, the old beater. The old, the old beater is the one through the apocalypse is yeah. the one that is alive. Yeah, and saving the day. The French that. laundry is not even open, you know? Right, yeah. say is not even open. Like, you know, all these restaurants that are the beacon of of gastronomy aren't open in the old beater. <laughs> the, old, <laughs> the one surviving. Yeah. You know, you mentioned um, you, you had to turn around and call this audible, like within 48 hours, right? Yeah. Talk about like the behind the scenes of when you got the news that the restaurant industry needs to close down and like the, the behind the scenes planning with you and your team of like how you were going to flip this around. Like, I mean, I, I can't even imagine you probably didn't even like, sleep that night like in terms of the planning of how you're going to shift this whole thing around well luck uh luck well for me my case has been a little bit different because again i'm the guy with the old bucket and beater that that survived the apocalypse and so uh for us it was very easy to be nimble you know because my team has has been used to that for the last 10 years they've been used to uh, you know you know upsetting the setup for the last 10 years you know so um, shout out to Bamboo and Killer Mike for that for that tagline. Um, but we we we've been we've been used to that, you know. So when that when all, when all this came down and I and I 
called everybody and talked to everybody. It was like, all right, we're shifting. We're doing this now. And it was like, all right, let's go shift. You know, so that, that was very easy for me. But I did see a lot of my colleagues, they're doing the best they can, but they just, they're just, they were just caught in storm of grief and, and. Or they're just too big. Like it's just, they're just too big to, to yeah. 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 You know, you, you mentioned and their model, their model, their model wasn't designed to become whatever the political legislation told them to become. You're talking about the smartest, most nimble people, chefs and cooks and bussers and dishwashers and, and servers like these. They deal with crisis every single night, little little fires every night. And they're the most nimble people out there. But the problem was it would be like someone telling you that you can't wear shoes anymore. You know, yeah, that's a great comparison yeah. for me. And then you have to you have to on the on the fly switch up, you know, figure it out. Well, I saw like a lot of people in, in the fashion world sort of go into like sales and markdowns in order to just keep the blood flowing. But yeah. I saw a lot of restaurateurs. There's no real equivalent to that. Like, so I saw a lot of them just start like GoFundMe accounts and like basically just like asking for money. Like we just need a donation at this point to stay alive or else we're not going to be able to reopen when this all comes back around. Yeah. You know, and it goes back to our model, right? Like, um, and love goes out to all the little merchant and retail shops that had to close too. But a lot of those shops will maybe sometimes, you know, I don't want to generalize. I'm just giving an example, but maybe you only had to employ two people. And so in this time you can find maybe other creative ways to to figure it out together, or you can go to online sales or whatever the case may be, but even a small restaurant, small restaurant, I don't know, you pick one, anyone in the village, anywhere, right? Still employs maybe at least like nine to 12 people. And then you talk about like a midsize, even a restaurant, a small restaurant, but run by young, great, amazing chefs. That restaurant is, you know, like something maybe in Lower East Side or whatever, that restaurant is going to employ at least 15 to 25 people, you know? And then, and then like, you know, you keep going up the ladder and just a normal, a normal, quote unquote, normal restaurant is going to employ 50 people, you know? And so um, there's just no way to shift. And, and again, this is a, it's kind of like um, our business. Again, I'm just, I'm kind of like spitting all these thoughts out in the moment as I'm thinking about it. But our, our business was like being street performers, right? Like our money only lasted as long as that day's show. And especially as you go down the line to bussers and runners, servers, like literally our life, predicated on what we did that day you could criticize it all you want but also someone performing in front of you on the street with a hat in front of them that's the money they're going to make that day you know what i mean and that's what the restaurant business was it was just cloaked in in four walls and music and wine bottles you know but it really was that the gofundme accounts last i'll just pull it all back the gofundme accounts were built because there's literally no reserves in restaurants that's a problem that's definitely a problem we have to look at, but also there's, there's no reserves. So that's what it resorted to. Just like, like I have, and these are, again, I just want to restate. These are smart motherfucking people, man. And they, they ran out of answers. They're just like, I have no answers left other than can you, if you've eaten at our restaurant and you love our restaurant, can you just please donate whatever you can to just keep our staff, you know, alive so that they can pay their bills. What is your prediction on how the comeback will be? Uh, I don't know. I've been thinking about that a lot lately. Uh, I've been seeing some pictures in China where like people just going right back to life. You know what I mean? Oh, um, okay. Like, uh, I hope so. I hope and so. in Korea, in Korea, um, everything beyond what you've heard in the news and stuff, like life has slowly gotten back to normal. Uh, people are definitely more cautious and, you know, people wearing masks and this and that and, there's not large gatherings. I don't think they've returned school or like large sporting events yet. But like, as far as like, if you and I wanted to go to a cafe right now, we could go to a cafe and like, and you know, and it hit Korea only like two weeks before it hit America, you know? Yeah. And, um, and so everything's pretty much back to normal there. Uh, like what about with the, with Vegas? Like, do they know when that's reopening? Mm, no, because uh, again, everything changes day to day. Um, I'm sure they would want to open tomorrow if they could. Uh, I have a feeling my gut is that they got to open by the end of April or early May or else like this, if we don't, 
if we don't restart the economy by May, in my opinion, like we, then that means like we're going into some other realm of shit, you know? Like, yeah. You know, another le- like another level of hell will be reached. Another level where we can't, we don't even have to worry or imagine what it's going to be like when we come back because that whole model will be completely obliterated. Because I don't know how, I don't know if people can last. So far, the government has been asking us to last uh, a month and a half because, you know, most came down mid March, right? So they're asking us till the end of April. And, uh, and I understand all the medical and scientific reasons. I'm not commenting on that. I'm just saying that um, economically, if they don't restart it by mid-May at the latest, then you're talking about, because you got to remember a lot of these businesses have to restart back up, right? Yeah. You can't just, the moment they say green light, you can't just open a restaurant. You have to restock, you have to retrain, you have to prep the food, you know, yeah. especially if you're a restaurant that maybe worked with a lot of fermented products or whatever, right? And so then you're talking about not making money or whatever till mid-June. Mm-hmm. and I don't know. I don't know if it can last that long. Uh, again, it doesn't mean that whatever will come after that won't happen. But it, I don't think we can rely on the old model. I did yeah. about like let's say on May first they say, "All right, you know, doors open." Um, I do think about like what's it going to look like. I don't know if you thought about it. I don't know what's going to look. Like. Are everyone, is everyone just going to run out of their house at the same time? And <laughs> I think about it a lot, and I just can't foresee it. You know, like all these like music festivals and like fashion weeks. And, you know, even you think about like a Saturday night in Vegas, yeah. you know, at like a nightclub and at the restaurant, like, I don't know how long it's going to take for us to be back to like, just being comfortable amongst a whole group of people. I mean, I guess the vaccine is really the, the black and white era. Like when the vaccine hits, that'll be a different story. Cause then there'll be like a quote unquote cure, but that's 18 months away. Yeah. You know, so it is pretty scary. And have you heard of this, like the theory where it's like an alternate theory where instead of locking down and shutting down business, just restart it and let it fly and let the chips fall where they may, because the damage taken from the unemployment and the food lines and the homelessness will outweigh, unfortunately, the deaths that you will get from just restarting the economy. Yeah. You know, um, so, so, so rephrase that question again for me. Our people are saying that we should have just kept things open. Is that correct? There's a, yeah, there's another theory. I mean, you basically have two options. Option one is lock it down, shut it down, right? And lo- shut it down for as long as it takes to, to flatten the curve. But while you're doing that, people are losing jobs. People are becoming homeless. Yeah, okay, I hear what you're saying. I have yeah. no problem or with... Option B is just let it go. Let it go. People will die, but yeah. I have no problem. I had no problem with shutting it down. But the problem with shutting it down the way America did it is that they didn't offer any resolve or solutions for the shutdown. So you look at countries like in Scandinavia, in Denmark, Sweden, uh, Norway, you look at Canada, you know, and then and then and then there was like and it wasn't like this this consolidated, you know, what do you call it? This consolidated the relief from from America. But like in countries like that. They're like, okay, like we literally got to shut shit down for two months, you know, like, like a fucking ski resort, you know, like we got to close this down. We got to, you know, batten all the hatches and, and, but during that time, you know, like we're going to take care of these things. Yep. The problem in America is that they, they gave us the shutdown, but they didn't like, they didn't take care of everything else. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And so that's why people are freaking out, you know, and that's why the unemployment is going to be very detrimental to us. You know, like if there are reserves, this is the time where some form of, you know, socialism, democracy type thing has to come into effect. You know, if we're literally figuring shit out, like right now, only like a couple of days ago did we figure out, okay, there'll be an S small business, you know, like a a handout, but that wasn't planned before it was figured out just now. And then, you know, the day they opened up that line, like I heard like 6 million people applied. So like, who knows when you're going to actually get a check now? Yeah. And, and it's like, I feel like it should have been across the whole board, you know, and maybe I'm a little bit naive and, and idealistic in that. But again, there are countries that are doing this. You know? Yeah. It's not like it's not being done, but you know, I believe like, well, I mean, there are countries that were doing it already before, like providing free healthcare and free 
education, but also now in the crisis, they're offering 75% of their uh, people's salaries. Um, mm-hmm. they're, stop, they're freezing all bills. Like if we're all humans, I guess I'm just speaking again, idealistically, if we're all humans and we're, we're confronting this problem and, and we're, there's been the consensus that this is a global problem that we all must do something together. Like the government is asking us to do a lot of shit in order to do, in order to get into this herd mentality that we all have to contribute to this. Okay, cool. I get it. But if that's going to be the case, then if we're all in this together, then we should just stop. Like, let's just press pause on everything. Everything. Rent, mortgage. Yeah. Mortgage, bills, utilities, insurance, everything. And just start back up when, when we start back up. Yeah. Like some person shouldn't keep winning. I know. Person or entity while everyone else is losing. You know, you know what they saw? I saw in New York, um, a hospital worker, right? Like a nurse had to run out of the hospital across the street to refill her parking meter. Yeah. Like, okay, so this person's going to leave surgery so that she doesn't get a parking ticket. Like if you're going to shut shit down, yeah, shut everything down. Like shut Shut down down. the meter meet. Yeah. The meet why should the New York City Transit Authority still make money. Yes. And that's that's the problem right now. And and it, it rises a lot of deeper questions of like, really, where is all our money going every day? Yeah. And um, where are those taxes going? And um, and if it can't be used in this time where, you know, it's been built up again through rhetoric and propaganda that this is our apocalypse, that we're at the edge of human existence. This is the meteor coming down ice storm killing the dinosaurs and we're looking at it right and if that's really it yeah and we still can't help yeah we still can't let go of the money and like you know and like just like stop for a second you know so it's like it's it's really weird yo thank you roy so much for this time i know uh you know this is this is a real trying time so i appreciate you taking the time out to to just share some of the struggles and trials and tribulations that you go through in your industry i think it's really helpful yeah, man. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Stay safe, man. All right. You too. So before we get too far in, let's start at the beginning. Uh, let's let's begin with the basics. Um, who are you? What do you do? And where in the world are you right now? I'm Nick Morgenstern of uh, Morgenstern's Finest Ice Cream, and I am at in New York City. I'm still here. It's uh, April 7th and uh, I could have left, but I have decided to stay here. Nice. So when we were gearing up for to do this episode, one thing that I wanted to ask people is to sort of put themselves back like 30 to 60 days. Sure. And what was going on in your life? What were you gearing up for? What were you preparing for um, before this pandemic hit? Yeah. So I think for all of us, something that I really feel is common for everyone that I deal with in my business, um, 30 days ago feels like an eternity ago. Um, Mm -hmm. Time has really changed the way that it's moving. And so even thinking back, we had put in motion um, a very uh, specifically rigid plan of action for a number of new services that were going to be added to the Morgan Stearns uh, offering, our product okay. offering. And so we were like, for the first time in the Morgan Stearns, you know, lifespan, we had a very well articulated um, plan for adding new stuff to our brand from mm-hmm. um, operations, procurement, Lots of design work had to be done for new packaging materials and promotion, um, PR communications. All of that stuff was like well in motion, essentially for some major things to come online on May 4th. And so we were just plowing forward with those types of plans in addition to our regular day-to-day operation for the business and the brand, which involves making ice cream every day and selling ice cream every day. And on top of that, gearing up for, we see a vertical um, shift in our business between the month of February and March. It's a drastic change happens in New York for us as far as volume, uh, revenue, and and just units. So all of that was happening at the same time. um, And a very much for myself, just personally, um, was like really sharpening, like just feeling more and more. Um, you know, acute mentally 
and I'm training for the triathlon. I don't know if we talked about that last time. Yeah. Um, so just getting, I think my theme here is just like momentum, you know, and like, mm-hmm. and like building momentum. And so yeah. it's, um, I, I think you can relate as, as you get older, I think it's challenging to understand how to build um, momentum and, and then how hard it is to get up to momentum, up to altitude, up to speed. Um, and then when things stop, how to maintain um, perspective and, and continue activity as much as you can so that you stay in the game and ready to come mm-hmm. back. And that's what I'm, that's what my focus is right now. It's very, very challenging, obviously, because this is a completely unprecedented, uncharted situation that we're dealing with. So when you talked about like the new verticals, um, did you make investments towards those, whether it be like new hires or so, and being that you were going to drop it in May, you were already at like the 10 yard line. Um, kind of, yes, we, those, those decisions had long been made, you know, it, it, the, the down, the winter season, that's our spring training. You know what I'm saying? Like we're like, yeah, getting prepped and that's, you know, normally I would shrink at that time. There would be a major, you know, just shrinkage in our staff and atrophy of our, of our pool will shrink by, you know, as much as like 30%, 40%. And we didn't do that this year. So mm-hmm. the investment was in maintaining a pool of staff to be really ready to rock and roll when things, um, when things came back you know, so that, so that was happening. And that, so that's a, that's a big investment for us as far as the payroll is concerned, Mm -hmm. um, maintaining a big payroll and then adding positions and really ramping up, um, with staffing and training. So, you know, major training going on all through the months of January and February and into March, March was like the tail end of the largest, um, portion of our training module was already was wrapping up. Um, so yeah, so, you know, just all that stuff happening. Um, and since, and because of this now, did you have to make furloughs or reductions or anything? We, we laid off all of our staff. Everyone came off a payroll, um, brought back two people ish, one and a half people on payroll, um, to continue to operate as a delivery and pickup, uh, only. And Mm. that has been a very difficult decision for me to make. Um, first of all, in light of just the reality of not wanting to have, not wanting to contribute to just general movement of the populace. We're all supposed to sit still right now, you know? Um, and then further, um, uh, just the safety of my staff and my team. And so we we're in a very unique situation as a food service provider that we have a lot of inventory of our product on hand. And we can serve our product in this to-go and pick-up format with one employee in the store. Mm-hmm. So there's not a lot of exposure and, you know, all the issues with social distancing, the doors stay locked. If a delivery person comes to the door, they check the number, they get the order, they pass it through the window. Um, there's very, you know, it's contactless delivery, as they say. So all of that is makes it easier for us. But even still, I still think that there's a really it's a it's a moral quandary here, I would say, for every small yeah. operator, at least in New York, where we're in the, you know, the 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 area that's got the most cases in the United States. Um, and now mm-hmm. the world is like, you know, we all have a responsibility um, to stop this thing from spreading around. You know, it's yeah, very yeah. dangerous and it's changing our lives in ways that we've never seen before. So. How many was your head count at the time? 30, 34 and, wow. and was growing. So we'll probably, if all things continued on course, we would just about hit 50 this year at our peak. Um, mm-hmm. So we still had more, we had more people coming online um, and interviews were continuing to happen. And so, yeah, that's just kind of where we were. I know this might be a little bit difficult because it is, I can sympathize as a business owner, but can you talk a little bit about the thought process of the decision to need to, to lay off the entire staff for the most part? Like that's got to just be. It just seemed like the, it, it was the, at the time that was the decision, you know, it's like a, this is like a triage situation and we kept as many of our staff on payroll, first of all, who wanted to continue to work, right? Mm-hmm. In the beginning of March, when things were really starting to 
come to light here in New York that it was going to be a situation that was going to require major changes in people's lives, you know, that took time, right? That was something that didn't, I, I can make my comments about my, my perspective on leadership in New York City has been poor at best. Um, communication has come incredibly clear and strong from the governor, um, but is diametrically and almost the opposite from the mayor. And mm -hmm. so we're not getting, we have, as a business owner in this type of situation, you know, local and state government has to, it supersedes, right? Like, so yeah. they need to be giving, and we just were not really being given very clear directive. And that's my, that's my opinion. And that affects my answer to your question, which is at some point when you see your peers, you're looking to your peers in your industry. So in our industry, it was John, it was Danny Meyer first, and then it was John George second you know, who made the announcement that they laid off all their staff, which seemed very extreme and premature at the time, but they were just a little bit more ahead of it. And they have a much larger organization to think of. We mm -hmm. waited about another 10 days and we had staff that wanted to continue to work and wanted to continue to do things. And we um, did whatever we could to, um, get the get the business in order we have a lot of yeah. moving parts we have a lot of perishable ingredients and things like that so we need to do whatever we can do to get it in order and that's what we did and my team you know to quote uh one of my favorite expressions from my grandfather grandpa morgenstern he would always talk about closing ranks mm -hmm. like he was in the army and so you close ranks when a situation becomes very serious close ranks and everyone work together really fast you take care of each other and you take care of the objective the situation um, and my team just like pulled together really well on that. Mm -hmm. You know, we have physical stores that have just like tons of moving parts and facilities that have to be dealt with. And so as our team got stripped back, you know, we were down to half, half team, then everyone really pushed and pulled to get the stores in, you know, perfect condition so that no matter what happens when we have to come back, we're like ready to rock and roll. And that was, yeah. uh, that was great. So that's, that's the way that we dealt with it. And as far as, you know, the, the question of, you know, laying everyone off is that, you know, when, when a food service business doesn't have cash flow, you can't carry that payroll. It's a, you know, it's, it can represent as much as 50% of, uh, you know, 50% of your operating costs. So mm -hmm. when your revenue goes to zero or practically zero, then you, it's a very difficult decision to make. And especially when you have employees who are relying on gratuities, um, tips, then there's another, you know, there's another mm -hmm. factor there. So the smartest and fastest thing to do was to make everyone eligible for their unemployment uh, benefits. And now we're wading through the process of, you know, dealing with how we are able to get aid that will allow us to put our team back on payroll. What was the overall consensus feeling when you, when you announced the news? Understanding? Everyone, we were, we had pushed our envelope so much further than any, uh, anyone else. Like our team was here really like working hard and, so they, I think that they all just were like, okay, they're seeing everything happening around them. And by the way, as I said, a number of our staff members were just like, hey, I, I need to go home and stay home, you know? Yeah. And yeah. obviously anyone who needs or wants to do that, we want them to do that. I still have people who want to work now. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, again, it's a very difficult decision for us to make. So yeah. um, I think th everyone knows this situation is beyond, it's beyond and. and us, you know, as human beings, I think one of the most important things um, that I've heard, I have friends that are doctors, is like, the first thing is like, don't become a patient in a situation like this. So I think we all have to look at it from that perspective, which is like, you got to take care of yourself first, you have to prioritize that. And I appreciate all of the energy and efforts in, you know, helping and, and, asking for help and wanting to give help. But the most important thing that we all need to do is take care of ourselves so that you don't get sick, that you're not spreading this around. Um, and we know in New York, you know, people are still out in the, in groups and things like that. It's like, we got to be as conscious as we can be so that that's not what's going on right now. It's going to be really hard, Jeff, you know, in New York, when the weather comes out, New Yorkers just got to be outside. We can't be in our little yeah, yeah. apartments, you know, so yeah, um, yeah. it's tough. It's tough. How's your daily life changed? Like, what was your routine before this hit? And then what is your, 
I guess, routine now. So um, I get, so normally I have a pretty, it's pretty intense. It's not like my, my routine has been crazier in my life, but I exercise um, five or six times a week, um, depending on how I'm organizing that for myself. And so that's happening typically early in the morning. Um, and then I'm at, I'm at one of the stores, typically the big store, um, at or before 9am. Um, and then typically I will be at the store, um, until sometime between eight and 10pm. I would say I'm working approximately a 12 hour day. Um, and I'm usually doing that Monday through Saturday and I don't work on Sunday. So, so that's kind of the way that things were going. Now things had gotten adjusted recently with the project management stuff that was going on. And then, um, I'm delivering a um, I'm delivering a book proposal right now, so that was another piece of work that I was dedicating time to. So, mm-hmm. so I was all of that was going on, but I try to keep myself to like a 12 hour workday, um, and then there's a pretty good chunk of exercise in front of that in the morning, um, and then at nighttime just like trying to get good get good rest um, yep. to be able to get back at it and get at it again the next day. And that's what I'm talking about that momentum and that stamina you know, to be able to do that. Um, and, and so my concern right now is like, you know, trying to maintain that in some semblance. Um, so what are you now exercising 12 hours a day? No, no. <laughs> so as much as like that potential, it's really, this is a tough time, at least for me, it's like, I feel like, you know, mentally and also emotionally almost like drifting, you know, just like, yep. there's no, the clock, the, the, the hands on the clock don't mean anything. Like, there's nowhere that you yeah, have to yeah. be at any time. So, you know, punctuality doesn't mean, you know, whatever, none of that kind of stuff. Um, and I gave myself about two weeks um, to just kind of try to reflect on what's going on. And mm-hmm. more importantly, I think, at least for me, is to try to reflect on um, the validity of what I'm doing every day that I get up and go tearing at it. Like, what is the, yeah. what is the meaning and what is the importance and like where, what value does it have to my experience and my existence and the experience of those around me? And I think it's a really good time for us to all just like, just take a breath. This is mm-hmm. hard. You know, we're going to get through it. Um, but it's a good time to just like try to be a little bit more reflective and, you know, I mean, being irritated about like being stuck at home and watching Netflix and and cooking is a pretty first world issue for us to even have, you know, and yeah, it's like I, I just don't really entertain any of that stuff. Like it's a break and it's really a moment for us to think about how do we want to approach a challenging situation and the circumstances here while they are out of they're they're out of our control. Um, what I really believe is in our control is is how we want to approach it and how we want to think about it and what intention you want to put out there with how you deal with the situation, you know. So mm-hmm. that's what I'm that's what I'm doing. That's how I'm doing it. And and so I'm still training. I'm still training for the triathlon. Um, <laughs> it's become hard. <laughs> I can't swim, um, which I'm con- I'm nervous about that because I really swim a lot. And now I'm just like you know that's going to be hard for me to get back on that. Um, doing my running, doing my cycling, um, bought a jump rope for the first time in my life that like I've always watched, you know, guys do that. And I was like, I just never did it. And then I'm like, Oh, I should do that. And you know, uh, jumping rope is fucking hard. And, um, (laughs) and it's like a different kind of thing. So I'm just like trying to mix up that kind of stuff and it makes me feel really good. And that's like an amazing thing. And then you know, cooking lots of food at home. Um, haven't, uh, haven't been to or eaten much restaurant food, obviously. Um, and then I'm like, I'm like on the phone a lot all the time with my friends in that, but also my contemporaries in the biz. Cause you just got to get perspective and feedback and give it as well if you can, because it's a really tough time for everyone. So it's good to be in contact and communication. You mentioned you're doing um, takeout and delivery and yep. contactless sort of pickup. Is are you finding that people want this small treat in their lives? So much. I know I do. 
So I know I'm eating ice cream like every day. <laughs> so listen, we we cut it off for like a week. Um, when I'm trying to remember when that was, it was like that week that the governor finally was like really tightening down. Um, yeah. we shut you it guys down. Actually, you know, you guys stayed open as late as you possibly could. I remember seeing lots of businesses shut down and I'd walk by you guys and you're still open. Like we, I mean, this is the craziest thing to me, Jeff, is that like, I got people in my life that are in the medical uh, field and they were like, they were talking about in the beginning of Mar- end of February, I had a conversation with someone who used to work in, um, work in government, worked in the Clinton administration and the Obama administration. And they were like, uh, this is, this is not good. And they are not following um, pandemic protocols that had been put in place a long time ago. Um, mm-hmm. You know, 10 years ago, there had been scares around N1 and SARS and all that stuff. And so the United States had had to like prep for it. And they were just like, it's not getting handled and it's going to get really bad and it's going to be like a big thing. And it was all, we were talking about it in a way that was very speculative, just like, oh, well, I don't know. You know, it's like killing all these people in Italy, but I guess we're just, you know, somehow it's not going to happen here. And that's all been laid bare, obviously. So we stayed open and I told people, people were calling me and saying, you know, how is it affecting you? We had a record, we had record business the weekend of March 7, 8. Um, you know, was like booming for us. It was beautiful weather and all that. And New York was just like out, you know, everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and I was really scratching my head, like they need to shut down the schools and they need to shut down the subway. Like this Mm -hmm. is not like those two things needed to happen much sooner in my opinion. Um, and there's other, anyway, I don't want to get into that, but it just, it should have been, it should have happened sooner, could have happened sooner. And it didn't. So we, you know, I keep running the business. I'm like, it's very difficult to make those decisions as an owner when the, when what you're deciding to do is not aligning with what the government is saying, you know, what your local, and that's, that's been really challenging. That's kind of changed now, but it just feels like it um, took a while. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So people still want their ice cream to this day. We shut down for that week in between and there was like so much demand emails coming in and then when we turned it back on it's been pretty crazy um so we're only open eight hours a day from 12 to 8 and um we did last week um bring back we made a very small run of the action bronson ice cream and it just like went bonkers like right away because people have never been able to purchase those as individual items and we made them delivered so yeah. that's that went bonkers and so it's been it's been busy and and again we're still handling it with just like no one no lines outside obviously and you can only buy online and then all of the items that we have available already nice um what have you learned through all of this about like people humanity you know you're you you mentioned that you're still interacting with like you know, you're on phone calls. I'm sure when you go on runs and bike rides, like you're sort of like bumping into fellow New Yorkers. Are you overall very hopeful and positive or are you seeing like a darker side? I think, I think both. I feel like there's, um, there's always opportunity to exercise uh, humility as a, as a person and also to show your humanity. It's really hard in New York, man, because the, the, the bottom basic line of this is that, you know, we're all jammed in here together. There's not enough room, there's not enough resources, and you kind of have to fight for yourself. And so it can really become an environment that's, you know, socially selfish. And this is a situation where we ought, we have to think about the greater good of what we're going to mm-hmm. do here. So I see both of those things happening. I live in Chinatown in a very busy part of Chinatown where there's lots of shopping And, um, for months there's just been the masks and the protective, uh, gear gloves and, and some form of eye covering and so on and so forth. Um, and then just, I've seen, I've seen altercations in my neighborhood, like pretty crazy altercations with people yelling at each other for getting too close or whatever, those kinds of things are happening. So people are just like naturally on edge right now. And I just, I feel the same way as what I said before is like, we all got to like, try to take a step and take a breath and just like chill, you know, like it's, it's just an extreme circumstance and extreme situation and just like operate with patience um, Mm -hmm. as 
as you can. And, you know, I, when I'm out running or cycling, I'm trying to obviously stick to myself. And there's some times that you see people doing weird stuff. And, um, I'm yeah, not, I'm not work. really interested in being a policeman out there right now myself. It's like trying to tell people to be more responsible, but, um, uh, we live in a in an environment where it's like free will, you know, mm-hmm. um, and in other parts of the world, they've dealt with this much differently. They've been able to get it under control faster because they control the population differently. We are yeah. we can just do whatever we want here. So that's what we're doing. And um, yep. so those are my observations on that. And what do you I'm think overall, will be the uh, oh, say sorry, it again? Go ahead. I'm overall hopeful as a New Yorker. Um, I moved here in May of 2001. And so 9-11 happened about six months after I got here. Um, but I was living, I was I'm from California and I was living in Hawaii and I wanted to go where there were the baddest motherfuckers in the country. I was like, I want to go where it's like, these are the people who are the baddest. And, and mm-hmm. I've been, that's, that's been proven to me here to be true about the people who live here time and again, um, from nine 11 to, um, the blackouts and the financial crisis and Sandy that like, one thing is for sure is that, um, New Yorkers just, we just are not to be defeated. We just are not going to be defeated. And, so, and in light of that, in, in all through it all in this situation, um, I don't, I have no fear. I don't feel that in yeah. this circumstance. That's dope. What, so given that, what do you think are going to be the long lasting effects of this? Like picture out like a year from now, like things are, everyone's out, you know, uh, yeah. flatten the curve, everyone's going out. And, and, you know, there's this classic image to me of the July line at Morgan Stearns in the LAS. I know. I know. Do you, do you see that happening? And not because of your business, but because of social norms. Definitely people will go back to business as usual. And I think the, the thing that's going to be the biggest impact on New York and, and a lot of the country is going to be the travel and the tourism. Mm. That, 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 I, I see that as like the most um, immediate near-term um, challenge for us, especially in New York, where so much of our um, commerce is driven by tourism here, so much of it, especially in the food service world. So yeah. that's going to have a tremendous impact um, on us. And I think that I, I spoke to the owner of Peter Luger yesterday, and that was the thing that both in, in uh, that's a business that's been around for a hundred years and they own the real estate. And so they're very well positioned to weather a situation like this. But what we both landed on was like, yeah, both of us, you know, heavily rely on tourism as a part of our customer base. You know, New Yorkers mm-hmm. love both of our brands as well. And we're very fortunate to be able to sort of, you know, straddle that line. But it's yeah. um, not having the tourism here is going to be the most significant, um, I would say, immediate, you know, near term, near term, not like tomorrow, but Let's say even say this summer, we're going to really feel that and we could continue to feel it next summer. So, yeah. uh, But other than that, you know what I really believe, though, is that as with other pandemics, the situation will get under control. It'll take a matter of time as far as how long is it going to last. But we have a very, very short attention span. Yeah. As people. Yeah. And as soon as it's like, okay, that's over and it's out of the news cycle, we will go back to you know, posting our social media posts and, and listening <laughs> to podcasts and looking, you know, that's just, that's the nature of the reality that we live in now. And so yeah. it's not to say I'm not concerned or that I'm like, Oh, I know what's going to happen. I, I, who knows what's going to happen. Um, as far as for, for us and for our business, um, I, I, nothing has changed for me other than the timeline on what we will do it, you know, mm-hmm. with, we will, we will go back to, the planning for the, um, the, the projects that we had in motion and the way that we operate our business and so on and so forth, that stuff will come back. Nice. Um, before we, before we sign off, I want to ask you if there's any sort of like organizations or nonprofits or community-based things that you guys are leaning in towards, um, or that you just feel super sympathetic towards. So we, you know, we 
focus all of our philanthropic efforts towards um, a, a soup kitchen here in New York that's in Brooklyn. It's the biggest soup kitchen. Um, it's called St. John's Bread and Life. Um, and it's a very small organization um, that does a tremendous uh, job of providing 3,000 hot meals per day, um, which is a just a, a staggering undertaking. Um, you know, at Morgan Stearns, when we're very, very busy, we will service 2,000 uh, customers a day. And to think about servicing 3,000 hot meals per day and doing wow. it all uh, for the greater good. It's a huge task. And, um, so, so we, anytime that we raise money or we ask anyone to raise money for anyone, we do it for them. Um, I believe in their mission and who they are as people and what they're doing. And I also believe very strongly, um, in the organization of their, of their philanthropy is that over 90 cents of every dollar goes towards the cause. And that's very important to me as a small business owner. Um, we get roped into, contribute our brand and our energy, our time, our product to all kinds of um, supposed, you know, philanthropic efforts where you see that it's like 50 cents of the dollar goes to the cause. Um, and I just have a hard time, you know, asking my team and donating my own time and my brand power to things where there's that much of it is not actually going to the cause. So mm -hmm. um, if you are feeling, you know, generous at this time, Take, just take a look at where where the dollars are actually going. Um, and, yep, you, yep. you know, you want your dollar to go as far as it possibly can, especially at a time like this. Yeah. Yeah. Nick, thank you so much for your time. It's great to talk to you, Jeff. Thanks for following yeah, up. Yeah. Stay safe, man. I'll talk to you later. You too. Hey, thanks for tuning in and listening to this special stay-at-home series of The Business of Hype. As always, you can find out more about the show and listen to all the other episodes that we have on hypebeast.com slash radio. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. It still helps us tremendously to leave a rating, leave a comment, and share the show with others. I greatly appreciate it. You can reach out to me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Jeff Staple. This special stay-at-home series of The Business of Hype was directed by me and produced alongside Christina Hong. Social distancing was practiced during the making of these episodes, and I urge everyone, stay at home, distance yourself from others, wash your hands, cough and sneeze in your elbow, and don't touch your face. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay inspired, and we will get through this. I'm Jeff Staple, and you've been listening to The Business of Hype on Hypebeast Radio.